are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Uh, last week, if you recall my drama series update, we spoke of the love of God expressed in Jesus' death on the cross that because of something called sin, right, we need to pull it out by its root. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. And so it's not something that we can simply change or modify within ourselves because that sinful root of ours goes so deep within us. It's so wide, it's so spread out that we need more than just simply a band-aid to cover our little boo-boo, but rather we need surgery. And who better than Jesus Christ to come and to, uh, to save us from all that? So today, instead of that, we're talking about God's power and prayer and what it means in light of God's power, okay? So let's all reread verses 13 and 18. I'm going to try to do something that the KM side do so well, and that is take turns reading the verse. I believe we can do this, okay? So I'm going to read the first line, okay? Start, and actually, I'm going to read from verse 13. So we're going to do 13 through 18. I'm going to read the first verse. You all read the next. And the last verse, verse 18, we'll read together. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Together, then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. Amen. Our first point is that prayer actually uses God's power. Our prayer actually utilizes and exerts God's power. So we read of this in verse 16. There's two words mentioned here, power and working. Another trans translation says power and effective. Now, we have power in prayer because of whom we pray to. Right? Because of whom we pray to. It's not the prayer that has the power. It's God whom we pray to who has the power. And so it's also God who possesses the power to make it effective. We're not talking about man's power now. We're talking about God's power. Turn to your neighbor and say this. You're powerless. Without God. There you go. That's encouraging. So James, he gives us an example of Elijah who prayed to God, who has the power to stop raining and make it start again. And the power is clearly God's power. It's not man's. It's not Elijah's. It's God's. So let me ask you guys this. What is it in your life that right now that you need most? Do you need the rain to stop or do you need it to come? Either way, I'm sure we could all use God's power working in and through us. In fact, I'm sure a lot of us would say, I need God's power for me. For me. And that's a problem, actually, the way that we phrase that. The power of God certainly helps us, but in reality, it is not for us. It is for His glory. And so that's why we don't get the things we want sometimes if not many times. 
We need God's power in our churches, in our families, in our personal lives, in our workplaces, in schools, not just to simply live easier lives or comfortable lives, but to make God known for His glory in our families, for His glory at our workplaces, for His glory at, in our schools, and in our relationships. That's a hard mindset to carry. Wait, God, I want you to work through me for you? I want you to change me and sanctify me and, and, and really fix me and transform me for your glory, not for me. There are things right now where it seems like it's impossible for us. Maybe your situation is difficult right now. Maybe, maybe you catch, maybe you're just so overwhelmed and you're internalizing something really bad or you're, you're desperate for something, whatever it is that you're in, it's impossible and things you feel like it just can't change. It's too late. It's done. Well, that's when we pray to God. That's when we pray to the power of God because God's power is not necessarily power that works to change our situation, although he has certainly do, done that before and he continues to do that. But this power is a power that we call to so that he may work through us. You see, let me clarify that. The power of God doesn't actually change our circumstances, situations. The power of God gives us the ability to live in an impossible situation. The power of God gives us the endurance, the perseverance, and the power to withstand pressure and persecution. You see, the power of God is what gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the face of that fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar saying, renounce your God and bow down to me. It gave them the power to say, I will worship no other God but the one true God of Israel. The power of God gives us the power to endure. So how do we pray in a way that doesn't sound like a name it, claim it type of people who simply ask God for things the way a child asks Santa for presents? Let's look at Elijah. This is an example that James gives us. Elijah, Elijah wasn't just doing a magic trick for his own benefit. He wasn't simply trying to dazzle people with his display of power. Elijah prayed and he asked and he walked carefully according to the word of God. So all that he's done that we, that's recorded in scripture that we know of was done in accordance to the word of God. It didn't contradict the word of God. It didn't oppose the word of God. It flowed with the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Elijah was praying according to the words of God that was made more than 550 years before Elijah even existed, before he was even born. Because this chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 28 speaks of those who walk in obedience with God, that there will be fruitfulness. And God, he emphasizes these covenant promises to people who walk with him in faith and who trust him. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to just give you and pour out my abundance of grace upon you. But then right at the bottom of that section of, of what happens when you obey is a section that says what happens when you, when you disobey. And in there, it says in verse 24, The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. This is a prophecy that occurred 550 years prior to Elijah meeting the prophets of Baal up in Mount Carmel. So what God is saying is this. 
If you're a part of my people, if you're God's covenant people, you have nothing to fear because we have God, and if God is for us, who can be against us? But, he says, if we turn away from him, if we reject him, if we refuse him, if we walk away from him, then he says, I'm going to set myself against you. And no one will be able to save you. That's why it's so wrong to think that if your life isn't going the way you want, people have this natural compulsion to just leave their faith, to leave church, to leave their life group, to leave their community of fellow believers, to leave their devotions, to leave their relationship with God so that you can find time for yourself, get some rest for yourself, do things for yourself, re-energize your mind, re-energize your soul, whatever it is that you want to call it. And they keep forgetting that God is the Savior. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that rescues us. He's the one that re-energizes us. He is the one that reinvigorates us, you see. So when you're having a difficult time, brothers and sisters, run towards him, not away from him. Amen? Towards him. So Elijah prayed. According to God's revealed will, and surprise, surprise, God did what he had said. Now, this is where I'm sure you're asking a lot of questions, and you're thinking, well, uh, what can I pray for then? What does this mean? Now, I have a, every year I get a couple dozen junior and senior youth students who around the months of February and March will become or turn into the most devout Christians on the face of the earth. They'll come to early morning prayer service every single day without fail. They'll even drag their parents to church. They'll kick up their personal quiet times from five minutes to 30 minutes, if not one hour each day. They're like memorizing scripture like crazy. They'll start worshiping with their hands raised and their eyes closed. And the times they contact me will no longer just to vent or complain or gossip, but rather say, Pastor David, I need prayer. I need godly counsel. Why? What is it with those two months? It's college application and admissions time. And so they'll pray to God. God, get me into this college. Get me into that program and so on. And to add an extra dose of holiness to those requests. Because deep down inside, they know that these prayers have little to do with God. They'll say, God, can you get me into that college uh, for your glory? But even as adults, we do that too, don't we? Actually, it's not that we want to know what God thinks of our situation, but that we want him to expedite what we've already decided to do. So it's more like, God, I am applying to this. I am doing that. I am going to marry him. I am going to date her. So I pray that you would just make it awesome and make it comfortable and make it wonderful Amen. For your glory. And the whole time, God's like, care to know what I think of this? But we're like, no, 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 God, I did my research. I've done my thinking. I've already made up my mind. That's why our prayers are like, that's what, that's what our prayers are like to God. If you really think about it, they're not really prayers at all. They're just instead informing God rather than praying for God to inform us about what he thinks. Does that make sense? 
We're not, we're, not, we're not seeking counsel and discretion, wisdom from God to help us with our decisions. We're not asking for guidance. We're saying, God, this is what I'm doing. So bless it or else. And then when he doesn't bless it, what happens? Oh, I'm leaving Shining Star. I'm leaving the faith. God has abandoned us all. What then is the will of God and how should we pray? I'll tell you, here's the secret that you don't have to climb some crazy mountain to talk to some guru for. We know that the gospel must be proclaimed. So, let us pray for the souls of our unbelieving friends and family. We know that God wants to build up the church so that it will prevail against what? The forces of hell and its demonic principality. So therefore, let us pray for unity and for spiritual strength and for us to love each other and forgive each other and be compassionate and grow in discipleship and generosity. We know that God wants to raise our children in the Lord, so let's teach the Word of God. Let's teach what worship is. Let's focus on their spiritual lives rather than simply their academic or their personal or their extracurricular activities or lives. We know that God wants us to reconcile with each other and to develop something deeper than just superficial uh, friendships, but something deep and, and eternal. And so let's pray that God would start with us to first forgive and extend compassion, but let's also pray that God would soften their hearts as well. We know that God wants, to, wants husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, so let's pray for our men to grow in spiritual boldness, but to fall in love with Christ, who is our example. We know that God wants wives to submit to their husbands, so let's pray for our women to grow in spiritual humility and strength and to trust in God's plan and order. We know that God wants us to stop sinning and to start walking in holiness, so let's pray for spiritual protection for each other. Let's pray for purity amongst each other. Let's pray for all of us to flee from sin and immorality, to resist the enemy and be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God, he tells us to pray in accordance with his will. I'm sorry, but I don't see any verse that says, Lord, get me a Ferrari. You want one, how about this? Work hard. Make a lot of money and go buy yourself a Ferrari and let me test drive it when you do. Pray in accordance with his will and keep on asking for the things that God has already promised. Keep on seeking things for which we know please him and to never stop knocking in faith that he will open the door to the impossibles or the impossibilities of life. When we pray according to God's will, nothing can stop our prayers. If you don't pray this way, or if you don't even pray at all, this means something. This means that you don't fully believe God is working, nor do you believe in His will to be done. So ask yourself, why don't you believe? Ask yourself, do you really even want His will to be done? People who pray well, people who pray a lot, 
are people who realize that though God's ways are far more difficult usually and oftentimes opposite from what we want, they know ultimately that His way is the best way. Is in fact the only way. It is the right way. Praying is surrendering your will for God's will. That's hard. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Not let my kingdom come. My will be done. My second point is that God, he works through our weakness. Now, I remember growing up. When I was little, my dad, who was an accountant at that time and was the stereotypical Asian whiz at math, whenever I would have a math problem, unable to solve it, let alone even understand what the heck is going on, I would go to him. And I'll say, Dad, help me. And he would always say this. David, it's easy. Just think about it. I'm like, oh, wow, thanks a lot, Dad. That helped me tremendously. Now I understand. Let me go now and excel. Finally, after the umpteenth time of my dad saying, David, it's so easy. Just think about it. I said, Dad, it hurts my feelings. (laughs) And just because it's easy for you doesn't mean it's easy for me. David, just... It's like Babe Ruth telling some average Joe Schmo, hey, just hit a home run, it's easy. You know, I, I play softball with our, with our team. I played in the Fairfax League, too. And their softball fields are like little league fields, so it's not too big. And I've hit home runs before. <clears throat> the farthest I've ever hit was 325 yards, which is not huge, but I'm proud of myself. But I found out from Babe, not from, about Babe Ruth, his farthest hit, recorded hit, was 610 feet. 610 feet. No comparison. And that's how people in James' time, and I'm sure in our time, felt about Elijah and other biblical giants. You're saying, stop using these biblical giants and spiritual leaders as examples for us. It's unfair. It's like Babe was saying, hey, hit a home run. It's not a big deal. Or it's like my dad saying, hey, just think about it. It's so easy. Even in the Jewish folklore, Elijah had become somewhat of a spiritual superman. After all, he took on 400 bow prophets. His prayer stopped the rain. I mean, this guy was major league. But this point dispels that notion. Everyone on earth who has ever lived, is living, or will ever live, is spiritually weak, if not dead, without God. Everyone. Even Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, the Pope, Do you know why there's been this influx of pastors with moral failings? And so when we hear of it, we, we're dumbfounded. Oh my gosh, how can this pastor who is a pastor of a 10,000 member mega church, how can he all of a sudden commit this sin and fall into adultery or whatever you want to call it? Well, here's the thing. It's because he's a man. A man who, yes, had a higher calling as a pastor, sure, but he wrestled with sin nonetheless. And verse 17 tells us, Don't think Elijah's so great. In fact, it says Elijah was was a man with a nature like ours. 
What people don't realize about Elijah is that after the Mount Carmel showdown, after defeating those 400 prophets, do you know what Elijah did? Do you think he marched down Fifth Avenue, New York, and started parading his accomplishments, saying, look at me, look what I've done, saying, I'm the man? No. After he had defeated those prophets, after he asked God to bring down a fiery flame ball to consume the sacrifice, he ran away. He ran for his life. Scared to death, he ran hiding in the desert. Was he hopeful? No. He was actually depressed. He was depressed and he was even suicidal. He was asking God for permission to die. Lord, why won't you just kill me? He told God that he had enough. Elijah was such, he felt like he was the worst victim ever. So much self-pity. He even said, I am the only faithful one here and yet they're trying to kill me. No, there are other people too. Elijah wasn't superhuman. He wasn't some spiritual giant or someone who never experienced the struggles of life. He was a man who suffered, experienced the same things you and I do. Every day he faced spiritual victories, but also spiritual disasters. He went up and down, up and down. But despite his weakness, he still believed that God meant what he said. And so Elijah relied on those words and rested upon God's promises. That's what separates him from the rest. He had no other power. He was not Superman. He was just a believer who prayed and trusted God above all things. Elijah knew that there were impossibilities in life, but he also knew that he worshiped God who can do the impossible. You know how we always say when we're weak is when we need to trust in God's strength? Well, how about this? Here's a newsflash for us all. We're always weak. We're always in need. Just because your day may look different and you're able to leave your workplace with a little smile does not mean that you don't need God. Without God, every single one of us, no matter how great our day was or how, no matter how wonderful our year went, we're all spiritually impotent without God's power working through us. Now, I'll be honest with you. As your pastor, I don't think I'm stronger than you. I just think I've learned to trust God a little bit more than you. I don't think Elijah was stronger than any one of us. I just think he knew God a little bit better than us. Therefore, he relied on God more, which meant that God used him more and displayed his power through him more. You see, when we acknowledge our need for God, that's not a weakness. It's a strength. It's a strength. You know, as a former youth pastor, <clears throat> it'll be interesting. There's, there, we have our youth girls, and, and let's be honest, girls are always checking out the guys, and guys are checking out the girls, right? And the ones I realize, the girls who are always checking out, the guys that they're checking out, were the guys who are always kind of like, they have their peacock feathers, like fluffed, you know, they're walking around with their chest out, saying, yeah, you know? And they're all like just very just kind of like macho 15-year-old kids or whatever. 
you know, I, I, I play football on Xbox and, and all this stuff. And they think, they think they're like top brass. And these girls are just like, oh, Lord have mercy. He just look, he looks exactly like the Abercrombie picture in front of the store. Right? But you know why it's interesting? It's like out of those guys, I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not trying to like downplay it in my boys, and I love them all, uh, some more than others, but <clears throat> the ones who I just really love and respect are really the ones who are quiet. But I'm able to talk with them, pray with them, and I, and I see where their spiritual lives are, and it's vibrant. And, and these guys, I go, to be honest, like, do you want to be in a relationship? He's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you will one day. Just don't worry about it now. But my thinking is this, and I've spoken to Grace too, and we're thinking, man, like, if these girls knew, this is the guy to go after. This is the guy. Not the one who's saying, I'm strong, and I'm, fi- I'm fine, and I'm, I'm, I've got it all together. No, true strength is the one who's so dependent on Christ, so in desperate need of a renewal of the Holy Spirit in them. And that's the person, I think, is really strong. It's not a weakness to need and want God more. It's a huge strength. But I have one final point I want to make. It's from verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Another translation, I'm sure you've heard of it, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So who's righteous then? The Pharisees thought they were super righteous. They meticulously kept the law, but no, Jesus says, your righteousness, it would, you want to be righteous, it has to exceed your righteousness. Otherwise, you can't enter the kingdom of God. But then in the same sermon, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The point is this, no one can claim righteousness before God. No one can say to God, God, I have done it, I am good enough. That's like someone who has offended me, okay? Let's say a guy who has offended me, hit me, slapped me, yelled at me, did something. I was just literally just sitting there. Someone who so clearly offended me. And then, he, and then he comes up to me and he says, David, you're okay with me. I'm like, what? No way. As the one who was offended, I am the one who will determine if we're Okay. I'm the one to determine if I can pat you on the back and say, we're good. I'm the one that will give you the green light to continue on with this friendship of ours. He does not have any right in saying that and claiming it for himself. And yet, that's what we do with God. We have sinned against God every moment of every day. And then we expect the day that we meet the Father, that we say, God, we're good, right? God's like, are you kidding me? We can't go to God and say that. Well, God, I know you're God, but you know what? Like, at least I didn't kill anyone in my life. At least I didn't, you know, do anything horrible. I paid my taxes. I was charitable. Therefore, Lord, you must accept me on those terms. And God's like, those aren't my terms, though. Righteousness is God-given. Self-righteousness is something we try to apply to ourselves based on our own standard of goodness. 
But you see, that's why self-righteousness and these Pharisees who really just defined self-righteousness, Christ so clearly condemned. He says, stop it. You think you're all right. You're just a tombstone. You may look polished on the outside, but inside you're a rotten corpse. So why are the poor in spirit righteous? Tell me something about the poor. Are they satisfied or are they in need? They're in need. They're in such desperate need. I need help. I need food. I need shelter. I need something. Someone save me. These are people who are hungry and thirsty for God. They're not satisfied with the things of the world and what they see in themselves. They are desperate for God to work in them. When we recognize our weakness and when we admit our sinfulness and stop trying to hide our hopeless condition, when we turn ourselves away and unconditionally surrender to Jesus, asking Him to save us in His mercy, that's when we receive righteous status. In other words, the only way we'll stand right before God is when we admit our weakness and our need for Him to save us. And it's at that moment that new life gives a life of discipleship. This life of discipleship is lived out by praying to God according to His will and trusting in the will of God. It's not sitting on the bench passively living out the Christian life, but to work continually, to watch and to pray to advance God's kingdom. You see, when we gather together, we must pray according to His will and believe that God will enable us to do what seems like an impossibility. The prayer of a righteous person, and end with this, will come from a person who is more interested in what God is doing than what they want to do. This person is more interested in defending the reputation and the honor and the truth of God more than worrying about their reputation and what people think of them. This person is more concerned about God's glory than making a name for themselves. And how in the world can anyone be like this? How can this be? Who will it be? Who can it be? How could anyone possibly want the things of God more than what they want? How can that woman that we saw in the video skip or miss out that plane ride to take care of her son, was it, in order to continue to evangelize and spread the word of God? Because through Jesus, this person's spirit will become transformed. Because of Jesus, this righteous person will become born again. Because of Jesus, this person is being sanctified to be more like Jesus. Because of Jesus, this person will want God more and the world a lot less. Therefore, this righteous person's prayer will be powerful and effective. You want to know God, you got to start with Jesus. If you really want to live a life that is all about God and all for God, for His glory, then you must have more of Jesus. And the more you have Him, the more your heart will be renewed for Him. The more you have Him, the more your mind will be conformed to His. The more you want Him, the more you have Him, the more you will be transformed from the inside out. 
That is the Lord's desire for all of us. But is that your desire? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to gather here this Christmas Sunday <clears throat> and to see our new friends here and our old friends returning to and to see the growth of this ministry. And we can only credit you, Holy Spirit, for you, the one who has placed every person here. In fact, every seat right now that is still empty has a name on it. And we believe that person will one day come. And hopefully they will hear the gospel message and come to know you in a saving way. And I pray right now for those who are already here. God, would you open their hearts and their eyes to realize the truth that we are in need of you. And it is okay to admit that. In fact, it is a strength to admit that. It is wise to admit that. Because without you, God, we are weak. Without you, Father, we are hopeless. Brothers and sisters, how many times, and friends, how many times have you tried doing it your way and accomplishing it your way and just trying to figure things out your way? To no avail. I don't know what's on your heart, and I don't know what you're struggling with right now. Maybe you want more attention. Maybe you want more satisfaction. Maybe you want more kind of purpose. Maybe you want to feel like you're doing something with your life. Maybe you want to earn a little bit more thinking that extra zero to your paycheck will help a lot. Maybe you think, I have the job, I have my money, I've got the ride, I've got the house. Now I need a man, I need a woman, I need something that will kind of push me through that typical American dream so I can ha start having those kids, so I can start buying that house or do whatever. And I think you know by now from what we've been speaking about for the past, I don't know how long, but you know deep down in your heart, that will not satisfy. Because those things were never meant to satisfy. That's why a person who's single, alone, but knows the Lord and loves the Lord and serves the Lord all their life is so much more satisfied than a person who has it all. Why is that? It's because God is more than enough. And Christ Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came upon this earth here, robed in flesh, to identify with you and me and to say, I am God, I am salvation. And if you just trust me, if you believe me, if you are willing to rely upon me and trust me, know that all that you've been seeking after, I am the fulfillment of that. I am the great satisfier. I am the one that will complete you. Jesus, would you lead us now as you stand before the right hand, at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Lord, we pray that your spirit will come and lead every single person here to renew or to come to you brand new. But work in us. And I pray that you would hear our prayers because, Lord, there are righteous people here. 
Brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys just a brief moment to offer up your prayer to the Lord. And then we'll go into our last song. Let's pray.